Section 21 of the Early Hanoverians by Edward Ellis Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Book 2, Chapter 6, Battle of Dettingen. Dettingen is a very well-remembered battle, because it was the last in which an English sovereign fought in person. But it is this single fact which has given it importance, not any display of military genius nor any great results achieved by either side. Curiously enough, France and England, the two principal combatants in the battle, were supposed not to be at war with each other. England was an ally of Austria. France was an ally of the Emperor, and it was not until a later date that these allies of two belligerents declared war against each other. The English army was under the command of the Earl of Stair, who, though a pupil of Marlborough, was never a great general and now was growing old and infirm. With very slow steps, the army advanced from Flanders to a position near Frankfurt on the Main. It seems doubtful whether Lord Stair had any definite policy at all, except perhaps to wait for reinforcements. But what would be the use of reinforcements unless there was something determined upon for them to do? Stair gave no explanation of his intentions nor any defense of himself afterwards. But the most probable solution is that he meant to march from Frankfurt some way up the valley of the Main and then cross over to the Danube, there to cooperate with the Austrian army. Stair's force, when the reinforcements had joined him, consisted of some 40,000 men, 16,000 English, 16,000 Hanoverians, and the rest Austrians, Hessians, and a few Dutch. But the whole was an English army in the sense that England paid for all, except the Dutch. The arrangements for the commissariat were, one may almost say as usual, very bad. Frederick the Great once said that an army was like a serpent and advanced upon its belly, and it is true that the bravest soldiers can do but little unless sufficient arrangements are made for their feeding. In consequence of the different elements of which the army was composed, quarrels and jealousies were rife, and Stair was a good deal hampered. The French army with which Stair had to deal was under the command of Marshal Noailles, and was numerically stronger than Stairs. In spite of this advantage, however, Noailles would not risk a battle, but pursued a Fabian policy, cutting off supplies and harassing the English army generally. Stair rather wished to fight at once, but his colleagues outvoted him. The English army advanced up the valley of the mine as far as the town of Aschaffenburg. There it was joined by King George himself, who soon saw it would be impossible for the army to advance further. Of food for the army there was so little that the men were almost in a state of starvation. Of fodder for the horses the supply was so scant that it was said that if the troops had remained in the same position two days longer, it would have been necessary to have put all the horses to death. Noah's army had effectively cut off supplies, of which the English had none nearer than Hanau, upon which place it was therefore determined to retreat. But Noailles did not intend to let the English retreat. He said he had caught them in a mousetrap, and having once caught them, he was not going to let them escape. The wooded hills of Spessart, 
run parallel with the mine, and between Aschaffenburg and Dettingen at some points draw very near to the river. Noailles seized Aschaffenburg as soon as the English had evacuated it. On the west bank of the river he had drawn up batteries of artillery to fire upon the English as they retreated on the opposite bank, and in the village of Dettingen he stationed some picked troops under his nephew the Duke of Grammont. At Dettingen a brook pours into the mine, and as the English would have to cross it, Noailles chose that as the point for the complete destruction of the English troops. It certainly seemed as if Noailles really had caught the English army in a trap. As the English marched from Aschaffenburg to Dettingen, they suffered terribly from the fire of the French artillery on the opposite bank. The river could not be crossed, and there was no way to silence the artillery. As the advanced guards reach Dettingen, they find that the way is blocked. For some six hours the troops were being drawn up in as good order as possible, considering the cramped space. At length, Grammont became impatient of awaiting the English assault, and instead of obeying orders and maintaining his ground, he advanced with his best cavalry, the French regiment called Maison du Roi, no doubt expecting an easy and a rapid victory. The charge came with such force that it broke, at least in parts, the three front lines of the English, but could not break the fourth. The result now was that Grammont's cavalry and the English infantry were so mixed together that the fierce cannonade from the opposite bank was obliged to cease, lest it should do as much harm to the French as to the English. Some of the French infantry advanced to the attack and were driven back with complete defeat into the river, many throwing themselves in and being drowned in the attempt to swim across. The English, who had steadily resisted these shocks, were now in turn able to advance, the French hastily retreating out of their way. When once the French were routed, Stair wished to send the English cavalry to follow up the fugitives, but in so doing he ignored the fact that many of the French soldiers had not been in the battle at all. Indeed, if Grammont had obeyed orders and waited, it is very doubtful whether the English would have forced their way through. The king, at any rate, was convinced that the wisest use for the English to make of their victory was to escape from their perilous position, and through pouring rain the troops marched to Hanau. He even sent a polite message to Noailles, asking him to bury the dead and take care of the wounded. It is to the honor of Noailles that he did. Perhaps he felt that such a request took off much from the sting of defeat. Frederick the Great used to delight in giving a comic account of the attitude of his uncle, King George, during this battle. He describes him as constantly in the attitude of a fencing master at the lunge. But Frederick did not love his uncle and was fond of ridiculing him. There is no doubt from other sources that once King George's horse ran away with him, and that when once it was stopped, the king being firmly on the ground said, no more running away now, that the king placed himself at the head of the troops and encouraged them by saying, steady my boys, fire my brave boys, give them fire, the French will soon run. In fact, there cannot be any doubt that the king showed the same personal bravery in the field as much earlier in his life he had shown at the Battle of Audenarde. If Noailles had succeeded in capturing the king, it would have been a serious matter. 
Perhaps the price of his redemption would have been the withdrawal of England from the alliance with Maria Theresa. It has been felt that such a risk as the capture of the sovereign ought not to be run, hence the reputation that Dedingen enjoys as the last battle in which an English sovereign fought in person. The results of the battle were that the English had fought their way back to their supplies at Hanau, and apparently not much more, except that it gained for King George some glory, which at this time fell against the interests of peace. The cause of Maria Theresa had for some time been gaining ground, and now that her ally had also gained a victory, though apparently a useless victory, it was more difficult than ever to persuade her to be moderate the war had changed its nature. It began as the war of Austrian succession, and was then intended to prevent the dominions of Maria Theresa from being broken up. It had now become, on her part, a war of vengeance against France, and at this point England ought to have left off assisting her. This, at any rate, was the opinion of a very eminent Englishman, who had been keen for the war at first, William Pitt, afterwards Lord Chatham. In a speech made in Parliament in the December after Dedingen, he noticed the change in the nature of the war and declared that peace ought to have been made. In England, as at Vienna, there was a great deal of rejoicing over the battle, one sign of which remains to this day in the well-known Dedingham Te Deum, composed by Handel, then at the height of his fame. End of section 21.